I have a question for you. This is this is very in the weeds, roster nerd related. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, and this text got me thinking about it. Really, I'm a little bit behind catching up uh, on the text line today. For a non-football weekend, that might be about as busy of an hour as we've had on the text. I want to say non-football. I mean a non-OU game coming up this weekend. But just with thoughts on the transfer portal and you know different ideas about what it means to lose a guy like Dylan Gabriel and how secure do you feel going forward. I really like this from the 615, and then I have a question off of it. You ready? Fire away. The 615 writes, It's no coincidence that Texas makes the playoffs when Sweat and Murphy anchor the D-line. As much as I love great quarterbacks, where we're going, it's the first team All-Americans in the trenches that win that league. I agree. It's also those guys that win this league and the Big Ten's league <laughs> and, and the uh, ACC's league. And, and the Super Bowls. And the <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you but but I hear what you're saying, and it's, it's a, a point well taken. Okay. So here is, my, here is my question. How did uh, Texas – how did Texas get Byron Murphy and Tavondre Swift? Did they get him? Okay, by the way, I'm just going to tell you right now. Anyone whose name is Sweat, Sweet, or anything close to Swift becomes Swift in my mind. Because, gentlemen, that is my life as soon as I am off my my job. When my job is finished, it's all Taylor Swift all the time. Okay, let me try this again in three, two, one. Where did Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy come from, Josh? I'll answer it for you. Development. Recruiting. Basically uh, the opposite of the portal. They, they signed him. They were signed out of high school. Murphy was the number 20 defensive tackle and the 44th ranked player in the state of Texas by 24-7. Whenever he signed, and I guess that would be what? If he was a freshman in 2021, so that would be that 21 class. Tavondre Sweat. Uh, who is a, a super senior, right? So he's been around for a minute. All-state, top 50, recruit, defensive end by 24-7 sports. It's a developmental story for for Texas, right? How about the offensive line? Oh, all recruited. All recruited. So my – and by the way, their best offensive linemen are their perceived best offensive linemen – Kelvin Banks Jr. did not have a good year this year. Did not. Um, so I'm not saying you can't go to the portal. That's not my point at all. Here's my question out of it. In your opinion, Josh Helmer, is there a guy that you look at on this Oklahoma roster on the defensive line? These are two tackles, right? And, and Murphy and Sweat. These are two interior defensive linemen. And I don't disagree with that previous texter's point. Who are you excited about on the interior of the defensive line on this Oklahoma Sooner roster going forward? David Stone and Jaden Jackson. <laughs> That's who I'm excited about. That's what I was hoping you would say. There's just not a dude right now, right, on, on, on the roster currently. That's not a knock. It's just when, 
the texture's right. You got to get Sweat and Murphy in the interior of that defensive line. Why do I think Texas is going to beat Washington? Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, they are a problem. Yeah, I mean, they're a handful up front, both lines of scrimmage. You got me so excited when that was your answer. You, I threw my reading glasses. <laughs> just chuck it away, baby. I just chucked my reading glasses. I was in so much agreement with you. It's not a knock on the roster. There's been some recruiting misses, unfortunately, right? There's been some guys that when they got here, you thought, whoo-hoo-hoo, this is going to be a dude. And it just didn't pan. I don't, LeBlanc is a great example of that, right? Um, I, I just, when you say that, I agree with you 100%. And we might still be waiting a little bit development-wise on a couple of names. Sure. But, but some of these guys are running out of time, too. So, I guess my point here more than anything else is, I agree with you, sir, or ma'am, whoever sent that text. But, you know, is that going to be a position? Right? I'm pulling up all the defensive linemen right now just so we can kind of go through it because, you know, for there's, there's a great success story for Oklahoma on the interior. I felt like with what they were, um, what they were able to do with the um, oh gosh, why am I blanking on number eight that that moved from the edge to the Jonah uh, Laulu? Jonah Laulu, right? Is that's a good success story, and right, he had a great season, but he's gone, right? He had his redshirt fifth season. He's graduated. He's off to uh, I don't know, maybe the NFL. Ethan Downs has announced he's coming back, but he's uh, he's an edge guy. You know, it's it Jacob is Jacob Lacey's gone. I think likely gone. I think Jacob Lacey has another year if he wants wants it, but I think he's I think he's gone. This is why I say time's starting to get skinny on a couple of these guys mm-hmm. because I, I want to be optimistic I love that term. about Ashton Sanders or Gilliam or Halton, but we just haven't seen anything yet. Now, Tavondre Sweat. I mean, as you pointed out, this this took some time at Texas too, so it's not always a snap the fingers and it happens. But, uh, boy, you feel better when you have some early signs. And, unfortunately for Oklahoma, the interior of its defense, yeah, I mean, we, we don't really have that going into next year. I mean, it is what it is. Right. I mean. From young guys, anyway. Right. There's, there's names here, right? There's, there's Taylor Wine, 6'4", 248-pound guy. I, uh, I got to know Taylor a little bit because he had been on the sidelines for some games where he had dressed out. But body wise, he's he's got a lot of work to do. He's he's got to get a little bit thicker. Um, I guess the Marcus Strong's of the world. I don't know that I saw him too terribly much this year. I'm just, we're just bringing up younger guys. And I was Ashton strictly Sanders. looking. I was strictly looking at the game notes. Right, right, exactly. Nose exactly. tackle, D tackle. That younger I went, guys. I went deep here on the on the roster. It's just I agree the hundred percent. Maybe those guys in for Oklahoma are the, the Jacksons and the Stones that are coming in. And who knows, maybe Bayou to buy a, a David Hicks if if he enters the portal. Sure. Are we just assuming that he's going to enter the portal? Is that what everyone's kind of doing well, right now? Why would now? we not? But I think it's a great question. I really do. And I think it's a great magnification to look around. Now, not one size is going to fit all. We say I'll say this a lot. In some instances, there'll be teams that have had more success in building their defense through the portal. But I, I feel like those are built for, like, one-hit wonders. Those are teams like TCU. You know, it's so funny. I, still, I thought a lot about TCU's fall off this year and how I felt like I got sold a bill of goods where everyone was like, oh, no, no, man, this roster 
It's just a topping off on the portal, man. They've got some dudes here. They're going to be around for a while. And then, lo and behold, it's like the bottom fell out as soon as. Well, it's amazing, isn't it, when right. Quentin Johnston's gone and, you know, you lose a, a quarterback like Duggan. And then you get, what, four or five guys that started on your defense that weren't necessarily first-round picks but are NFL guys, and they're gone now. Yeah, you were more than just topping off on the portal. You had a lot of dudes for the portal on that team last year. But I don't – no coincidence. Absolutely 100% right. But those dudes were also developed. And one of them, the uh, the fact that you had a COVID year, that you had an extra year that they could take advantage of, that they did in sweat. In sweat. <laughs> Who I'm going to call Swift every single time. Devondre Swift. Just, just accept it and know you know what I mean. Uh, and then one more here real quick from Realtor Chris. Hey, Reds, I know the transfer portal causes PTSD for some of us because of the meal shoe era, but I'm not going to lie. It's become one of my favorite seasons at Oklahoma. We're going to win way more than we lose in the transfer portal. And using David Hicks as an example, might be able to pick up some five-star talent as a discount on occasion. Do you know what else it does? Hopefully. Hopefully, hopefully. Right. That's that's what you have to tag it all with. The always the always confidence building. Well, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. But I will um I also think it's a it's an incredible reminder for I'm gonna tweet my frustration at a dude when he doesn't pick us in recruiting to A stop doing that. <laughs> and you should have never done that in the first place. And then B, you want to make sure you have a good impression whenever these guys decide that, yeah, I made the wrong choice with where I wanted to go to school. Or, yeah, I I had a coaching change, so I want to go somewhere else. I mean, it, it's not always the end of your relationship with a recruit just because he didn't pick your school. And then I'll, I'll add to it. One more I'll add to it here. Whenever you – let's just say hypothetically David Hicks does end up coming to Oklahoma or I keep forgetting the other edge guy from Texas A&M that a lot of people are, are, are all about right now. But now guys that might be in that recruiting battle in the future, they're like, well, you know, I ended up going to Oklahoma and it worked out pretty well. It becomes another sales pitch in the beginning of the recruiting process for it- you. Yeah, if it happens, if those guys come exactly. over here and exactly. are successful. But I'll tell you what, I agree with uh, Realtor Chris. I I like this. I think this is the is the reasoning and the and the impetus behind making these moves always the best. Maybe not, but who of us doesn't take an opportunity to go somewhere to make more money and maybe be more involved? I sure would. I'd love to, especially at that age, man. <laughs> but as someone pointed out yesterday, no one was paying me a million dollars to stay in school. That's correct. Yeah, they had to take a shot at our soul. Ah, how dare you do that right now? Uh, and then one more quick one here. How about this for how about this for a conspiracy text to the show? You okay. Ready? I like a good conspiracy. The 214. I think Levy was hired by Zach Selman before the season. And it's why Venables had said from early on that Dylan wasn't going to be here next year and why there was no scuffle button. I think that's supposed to be scuttlebutt, but I like scuffle button much better on who was going to be the Michigan State head coach. And then, boom, it's Levy as soon as the season ends. 
Okay, all right, let's see. So the theory is that it was known before the season. Levy's going to Mississippi State, job's mm-hmm. opening, it's his. And thus, what? Gabriel He's will follow take him. Gabriel with him? Yeah. Now, we'll see because it it doesn't sound like Gabriel's going to go to Mississippi State. Yeah, I, I have a better theory for you. Um I think Brent Venables had a plan in place that Jackson Arnold was going to be a starting quarterback in 2024. So this that was, way, 2025, <laughs> right? He's he's ready to be, be ready. You know, a star along with hopefully a fully morphed Oklahoma roster. Well, hold on, you're like fast forwarding to 2025, Josh. You know, I, I'm what, just saying that's the championship season. I know. You know what happened his first year as a starter for Bryce Young, right? I mean, he did win the Heisman Trophy. No pressure. It can be done. It can be done. Well, he redshirted redshirted during a national championship season. So, yeah, I I like that theory. I like that one a lot. But I just – I don't think any – if you were to say that Jeff Levy knew that if Texas A&M came open – that he would have a great shot of getting that job, if not maybe an understanding that, hey, as long as you stay out of trouble and you guys win some football games, you're going to be my head coach wherever I go as an athletic director, right? Maybe there's something like that, but I'm – boy, I love that conspiracy, though. So this is what the plan was. And Jeff – that's why Jeff was so confrontational about the Art Bryles thing because he knew that he wasn't going to be the head coach the next season. Oh, we can add are the uh, offensive coordinator next season. We can add so many levels and layers to this, Josh. Sure. Well, and he might have been he might have been pretty confident that he was getting a gig elsewhere. Yeah. You know whether that was Mississippi State or you name it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, listen, we got a break. It's already ten seventeen. Um, and again, the, as far as I've seen this morning, I haven't seen any new additions to the transfer portal from Oklahoma. Though everyone's been saying that's ah, going to be a busy day. So we'll see how that plays out. In the meantime, Drake Stoops last night had a take or two on Dylan Gabriel. We'll dive into it next right here on The Wrap. Oh, we're missing a cord, Josh. I've been, I've just been gossipy McGossipson. Uh, gossip, gossip, son, gossip, son. I've been gossiping a lot today, Josh. A lot to catch up on around the, uh, the ref studios here. Um, Burlesworth, Burlesworth, Brandon Burlesworth, for those who aren't familiar, former RIP, Arkansas walk-on, and wore the horned-rimmed glasses. He was a uh, he was a he was a legend of Arkansas football, and he was a walk-on. Um, there's a there's a movie that's uh, made about him. I would just say it's not necessarily the most cinematically solid um, thing you've ever seen, but it's a really, really cool award. And Drake Stoops was a finalist for it. Uh, He unfortunately did not win the award. Cody Schrader, who was a Missouri running back, was named the winner of the 2023 award. But while Drake Stoops was at the ceremony last night, he was asked in a little media scrum, little media get-together about his relationship with Dylan Gabriel. And, of course, it's, it, it had to suck a little bit because here he is a night that we're, uh, we're celebrating Dil, uh, Drake Stoops and 
he's asked about Dylan Gabriel, but as you can tell, Drake has no problem talking about it because of how much Dylan Gabriel meant to him. Yeah. I don't know if they were surprised, but it was still yeah. big news. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably what's, I mean, that's what he feels is best for him, and that's my, that's my guy. That's yeah. my dog. So um, I'm going to support him whatever he does, and I'm very happy and proud to have played with him these last two years. And he definitely, even this year, changed my whole trajectory of my career in a way, and I think we wouldn't have been able to do it without each other. And so uh, I'm just going to speak on that. I'm just really sure. happy that our time together, and I'm excited for whatever comes up next for him. I know he'll be great there and a great teammate there because that's just the type of man that he is. He always. You know, it's interesting. Um, as Drake Stoops last night from the Burlesworth Award dinner. I think I made sense there. I don't know why I was trying to give you some sort of soliloquy, soliloquy and life story on Brandon who's, Burlesworth. Who's Burlesworth? <laughs> Do you all know who this guy is? But um, the legacy is going to be a complicated one, I think, at some point to look back on and talk about. I saw you know there was a lot of different people that were having, I don't want to say hot takes, but just intriguing ways of looking at it. I, I think you can debate about, you know, where he lands in that pantheon of Oklahoma quarterbacks, but there's a chance where he transfers and if he decides to play college ball next year and turn pro or, or turn pro, but if he plays college ball next year, you know, that's going to be likely the all-time leading passer in NFL or in college football history that played here, right? And that's part of his story. But it's it's kind of a complicated legacy, right? It's going to be kind of a weird thing to look back on. Drake Stoops says that, and I'm I'm immediately, Josh, I'm immediately taken back to, you know, watching him and Jalil Farouk on the sidelines and watching the way that, you know, he had developed that chemistry and that trust with these guys. So, yeah, it sucks. It sucks, but it's not – I don't – I don't think it's like this end of the world thing like some are trying to make it look like right now on or over the last 24 to 48 hours on social media. We'll see. Time will tell. Oklahoma's sticking with its plan. And uh, obviously it was a successful marriage, Oklahoma with Dylan Gabriel. And as Drake Stoops talked about right there, there's no doubt that the partnership between those two has uh, enhanced Drake Stoops' professional career probably. I mean, he probably opened the door to that. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, Dylan Gabriel told us after the game uh, kind of his way of looking at Drake Stoops was, you know, this is a guy that's going to be in my wedding. And this is a guy that, you know, we're going to be at, we're going to be at everybody's, you know, future family events. And I think that's pretty cool. Now, for some of you that don't have that sympathetic slash nostalgia bone in you, it's like, ha, well, I don't care about that. What's he going to do for this team next year? Come on. What do you mean to this program? And that's fine. Y'all feel some sort of way. I mean, Dylan Gabriel literally said in his statement leaving Oklahoma, what? Thank you for holding me accountable. I mean, holy smokes, man. Thank you for making sure that I knew when I sucked. I appreciate it. But there'll be a time for that. You know, maybe once the the decision is made where he's going, we have a show or two about his legacy. I'm writing an article about Drake Stoops and uh, for Boyd Street Magazine. And as part of the article, uh, I, I'm going through the top plays of the Drake Stoops era, right? Like when were those moments where Drake Stoops made a big play? The final month of this season, all of it. <laughs> and every single play seemed like it came in a game like right down the stretch of this season. It's wild. 
Now there was Texas. The, there was the game-winning touchdown pass against Texas that took place in 2020, right? Um, but still, you know, Texas this year had the big catch on the final drive. Uh, it exploded against who was it? Uh, TCU. I mean, it's just it's amazing to think about that combination and what it developed into. So uh, we're going to spend a lot of segments too on Dylan Gabriel, but I just was it the. Uh, was it the most fruitful quarterback receiver pairing over a, a month's time? It's got to be in the mix. Yeah, I mean, if somebody where's our where's our true statistical nerds? Where's Stats Kelly on this one? I would imagine that where's uh, Mike Brooks? Where's SoonerStats.com while they fight with trying to make sure their uh, server stays? I would up? imagine CD had a, a pretty nice little stretch, and Clayton, you know. Broyles probably had a, a month somewhere that was pretty special. Okay, well, you know what? You just ruined the rest of my day because now I've got to find it out. For one month, or, or maybe even you go through a four-game stretch. Four games. A four-game stretch. I if, mean, that's got to rank toward the top, though. In Mike Houck is probably yelling at his radio right now. He's like, it's in the game notes, Plank. It's there in the game notes. Just look at the freaking game notes. <laughs> well, it probably is, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's what – that's what Drake Stoops had to say. And and what I've seen so far on social media from former – well, I shouldn't say former, but players and teammates, it it seems as if everyone everyone is pretty, uh, pretty happy about the future for Dylan Gabriel. I don't think there's anyone that's like, what are you doing? Meanwhile, Drake Stoops was also asked last night about Jackson Arnold moving in as QB1 and what he's – Moving forward. Uh, he'll be great. Um, I know this is going to be a good opportunity to get a lot of practices under his belt and then playing a, a good game, like I said, against a formidable opponent and get, a, get his experience going and his confidence going. And, and that will be a huge going into next year and going into the offseason. And I can be more excited for him and the, and the team next year. By the way, so that – I mean, I think we knew that, but that confirms – it's Arnold time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You want I, Eric Bailey, by the way, I, I missed all this from Eric. Maybe this is why he's not responding to me because he's at the Burlesworth Trophy Award. Uh, the uh, the Burlesworth Award ceremony. I hate when these guys, you know, like report on stuff. How dare of you? On the phone with us. How dare you? All right, a little bit more here. Here's, uh, here's Drake talking about Seth Luttrell's role with the offense uh, as an analyst and now his excitement about him being the OC. You get to interact with him. Uh, some would come to offensive uh, meetings um, between the quarterbacks and receivers, but um, I think he kind of just kind of stayed back and was, you know, whether it's learning or just just kind of taking it all in. But I think um, he definitely knows what he's doing, and that's going to show up here real soon. Mm, there you go. So a lot of good stuff from Drake Stoops last night. Kudos to let's see who all did I steal from there? Eric Bailey, uh, Ryan Aber. Thank you, Ryan, and Garen Emig. Good job. Uh, guys on covering the uh, the, announce, the announcement of Drake Stoops coming up just short of the Burlesworth Award, but then in that, uh, getting his perspective on the transfer of Dylan Gabriel. All right, um, look at us. Let's break. Let's come back with a lot of texts, okay? I did some work there that segment for you. We didn't just rely on the text line. Now it's all you until the top five stories of the day right here on The Ref. Hour number two. We're back. Josh Elmer alongside Chris Plank. This is the Plank Show right here. It's the home of Sooner fans. 
Hour number two, proudly presented by Allison Insurance. Give Allison Insurance a call, 405-745-2968. Why would you do that? Well, that's because Bob and Robert Allison, they can find the needs to best fit you and your office for insurance. Allison Insurance, they've been helping you and your family out for over 60 years. Again, allisoninsurance.com, 405-745-2968. Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line, 405 651 3439. Out of the 405, if Dylan had not been injured and Jackson Arnold's red shirt hadn't been burned, would Dylan Gabriel have stayed another year and Jackson Arnold waited another year for his turn, as did Kyler? No, no. I don't think so. I, I, it's a good question. I don't think that it's. I don't think it needs to be that. Um. Conspiracy. Not saying you're coming up with a conspiracy theory, sir or ma'am, but I just I don't think there's really that much to this. I I think the the plan all along was that when Dylan Gabriel decided to come back in 2023, and Jackson Arnold signed on the dotted line, that this would be a year of learning and this would be a year of preparation for Dylan uh, for Jackson Arnold, and that at the end of the season, he would hand the proverbial keys to the car. To Jackson Arnold, is that kind of what you had got to? I don't, I don't think there is a well. If he had redshirted, and no, 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 I think the, I think the plan all along was as long as the now, if there had been something in Jackson Arnold's development, Josh, if there had been something along the way where it was, oof, I don't know about this. Then maybe it becomes a completely different story. I don't get the sense that that had that has happened at all. No, it sounds like uh, Oklahoma's really confident in uh, the future of Jackson Arnold, which they should be. Elite 11 uh, winner, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Five-star kid, can really run it, can really throw it, can make all the throws. It's showtime for Jackson Arnold. This is the plan. Let uh, let Arnold be the guy as soon as you jumped into the SEC. Mm -hmm. And then uh, by year two, let's hope that he's ready to start next season. But – the following year, it sets up for Arnold to be, you know, maybe one of the best quarterbacks in America. Oh, absolutely. And, again, hopefully that, that's the case as soon as 2024. That's the goal. All right, where do you want to go next? Josh uh, from uh, – well, it, I think it's car equipment. I think I've always said that. The, the, the real man, the man's man, Josh. Tommy Bacon, real man. Survive in the wilderness. Tommy Bacon, Josh, we have been uh, crawling for the past couple years with the development that we've been having. I think we're about ready to start running. So basically it's, all right, enough of these kid gloves in this development process. Let's go. Let's go. Let's sink or swim and find out what's up. And I think you might have one final year of a little bit of crawling in 24. But uh, 25, I expect uh, a dead sprint. From Oklahoma. Me too. Me too. Now, and I'll add one more thing from that perspective. I feel good about some of the development that we've seen, right? But I also, it's uh, like you've said, let's let's go. Year three of Sark had Texas in the playoffs, right? Year three of Oklahoma, we're going to the SEC. And that schedule is tough. And and the expectation should still be, though, you're going to be one of the top 12. Absolutely. Absolutely. This should be a I, – I, I hate to say this because it sets a terrible precedent, but here we go. 
It's a playoffs or bust, bust mindset every year with this program. Top four in the SEC. Are they going to the playoff uh, most every year? Top three, I would say yes. Yeah, I, I, that's a really good question, Josh. I think, I think the top four is going to be in every year most the years. SEC. Now, there could be a year where there's two really good teams out of the Big 12. I'm trying to think of how – what the number of bids would would look like? Yeah. So you've I, got you've got five conference and seven at large, right? Mm-hmm. Three and three and one, maybe three three from the SEC, three from the Big to, Ten. But see, here's the thing. I don't. I mean, do you really think Penn State would have deserved a playoff spot this year? Now, Oregon and Washington would have been in that conversation in the Big Ten, but and USC and UCLA are coming over. I mean, it's hard to think that they're not going to swallow up three four bids most every year i think uh yeah i think that the acc and the big the big 12 are going to be battling over like one of those at large too right there's there's no i mean you got two that are locked in for sure in michigan ohio state right and oregon washington i mean one of those teams was going so yeah i think it's going to be a fun conversation during the summer for those people that usually like man what do you guys talk about during the summer what the 12-team playoff's going to look like. Time for the 16-team you know, playoff. And, and I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, too. Bill Hancock's about to retire, which means he, he'll be able to come on and, and tell us more about the process and understanding it. So, yeah, I think that's uh, I think it's going to be a cool offseason. Some interesting news out of the NCAA this morning. Oh, yeah? We got breaking news? I, I don't fully – I've not read the entirety of this story yet, so. How very you of me. I know. Wait, me of you. Sorry. NCAA right? proposes rule to let schools athletes enter NIL deals. Well, this is what the NCAA had been fighting back against for a while there. Their, their one big stand that they've had so far against NIL were the state laws, which basically, well, what, now they're saying, all right, we got we to gotta corral this somehow? So, so here's... Here's the story this morning. NCAA President Charlie Baker proposed rule changes Tuesday that would allow Division I schools for the first time to pay their athletes in ways that are not tied to educational resources. Uh, Baker proposed the rules. Here's the, the quote from him. Quote, it's time for us, the NCAA, to offer our own forward-looking framework. This framework must sustain the best elements of the student-athlete experience for all student-athletes, build on the financial and organizational investments that have positively changed the, tra- the trajectory of women's sports, and enhance the athletic and academic experience for student-athletes who attend the highest-resourced colleges and universities. End quote. Uh, um, New rules would also create a trust fund for athletes at the richest tier of athletic departments and allow those schools to create their own set of rules for recruiting transfers roster size and a wide range of other policies so i mean this sounds pretty groundbreaking this is a major development dude huge <laughs> this is a I major mean, it's, development it, it, to, you correct me if you think i'm wrong here but this sounds like major lazai fair from the ncaa basically saying yeah we're just going to be an organizer you guys are in charge now for a lot of this to create their own set of rules for recruiting transfers, roster size, and a wide range of other policies. Dude, this is a massive shift. In Gigantic. The, in the way that they had, in a lot of the ways that they're thinking, this is a massive shift. The proposed rule changes were laid out in a letter sent to member schools 
if they choose to accept the rules, they would be allowed to enter into NIL deals directly with athletes. What are the unintended consequences, right, of every rule that we see? That question has to be asked. All right, what are the unintended consequences of this? And does this not does this not kind of get into employee employer? Does this not kind of make it more yeah, I possible mean if, for it, the athletes to unionize? Yeah, and some revenue shares and collective bargaining. Right. I mean, it's which we've known we're getting close to that. I'm rereading this quote. It's time for us to offer our own forward-looking framework. Kudos to Charlie Baker for realizing that he went into a situation and after being there for a year thought, what do we really do? Well, I mean, we're can- a dinosaur. <laughs> what do we? So how do we adjust this going forward? The NCAA has such a bad public perception, Josh, that people are blaming them for Florida State being left out of the playoffs. <laughs> right. When they have nothing to do with it. This framework must sustain the best elements of the student athlete experience for all student athletes. There's a there's probably more questions than answers right now with this what is, proposal. Uh, what it, it, I mean this is this is not like a slight shift. This isn't saying yeah, well, you know, we're no longer just going to have 120 teams. We're going to have 125 or something along that that line, right? It, I mean, this this sets it up for the SEC Big Ten to do their own thing, right? I mean, it's uh, – if I'm reading this correctly and this proposal comes to fruition, the NCAA is basically saying we're not going to be involved in NIL – we're not going to do any of the the punishment there. We're not worried about uh, what recruiting or roster sizes look like. You decide that. Mm. Interesting. And I'm kind of surprised because the people that I, I I thought would be all over this, it's like it's kind of crickets right now. I I don't I think we're so early in this oh, here report. We go. Here we go. A lot of people probably don't really know. All right. Yeah. Okay. Ross Dellinger has a has a big article on it. And basically, it would create a subdivision that permits schools to directly compensate athletes. Dellinger calls it the most revolutionary concept introduced in NCAA history. Well, for a league that hasn't done anything revolutionary in a long time, I mean, it, <laughs> it's about it's, time. Is it's like, saying? hey, I guess uh, better late than never. All right. Well, hey, let me do this. Let's get a break and let's really dive through this and read through the teeth of it. Because uh, I don't want to have a ready, shoot, aim mindset on this because it sounds pretty awesome. But let's try in this three-minute timeout to come up with the – wait, three? Four minutes. What's our break here? I'll give you five. There you go. To try to come up with the unintended consequences and get to the details of the NCAA proposing new college athletics subdivisions rooted in direct athlete compensation. We'll dive into it next on The Ref. Okay, I, I think I think I have this figured out. I think I have this figured out, but in true NCAA fashion, and Ross Dellinger points it out, the proposal is short on details and specifics on the NIL concept, only saying, quote, 
rules should uh, should change for any D1 school at their choice to enter into NIL licensing opportunities with their student-athletes. So just to kind of give you an an idea of how this will look, or, and again, if it even happens, right? Yeah, because right now it's a proposal. It would give us that other, I don't know, division tier, however you want to put it. It would be the power four now with an opportunity to, in a lot of ways, break away. Now, the interesting part of this is the the NCAA, while allowing this other level, still wants to maintain all of its power. Let me read this to you. The proposal is a culmination of a review that Charlie Baker and staff conducted, and several high-ranking athletic administrators were previously briefed on the model. Entry into what is going to be called the subdivision requires a school to invest at minimum $30,000 per year per athlete into what is termed an enhanced educational trust fund for at least half of the school's countable athletes. That's a lot of money. (laughs) Um, Schools would determine... When athletes receive the amount, which for four-year athletes could be $120,000, right? Schools must continue to abide by the framework of Title IX, assuring that 50% of the investment be directed towards women athletes. The new subdivision will remain under the umbrella of the NCAA. Under the proposal... The NCAA maintains oversight of the existing national championship models across D1 sports, except football, which continues to operate under the college football playoff. Schools in the new subdivision would also gain control of decision-making around scholarship limits and countable coaches. In this explanation, that's the NCAA's way of handling major conference programs or handing them the freedom to increase their limits or do away with them altogether. The model also gives the educational institution, uh, institutions the most visibility, the most financial resources, and the biggest brands an opportunity to choose to operate with a different set of rules and more accurately reflect their – in other words, no longer by this stupid – everybody's the same. Everybody's the same. The acknowledgement is like, all right, Bama, OU, Georgia, Texas, y'all, Ohio State, you're not the same. Kansas, you're not the same you're as everybody the, else in You're basketball. not the same, Kansas – The proposal is not a final product. The model addresses and identifies the growing schism between major conference schools and that gap between the rest of college football, and I say college football, college athletics. And here's the other kicker, and I only got a minute here. I'm going to make a big story number five so we can talk about it more when we get back. The new subdivision provides schools a pathway to an alternative to compensation from the current NIL structure, The NCAA deems pay-for-play impermissible. The proposal, though, gives programs more control, lifting the restrictions placed on a school's involvement with NIL and allowing them to bring NIL within their jurisdiction, which is funny because that's what the NCAA had fought for the longest time. Interesting 180. 
There's more. What is it? You guys have questions. I don't know if I necessarily have answers. Large William hit us up on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line and said, so the NCAA is just going to say, I'm out. Well, kind of. But they're also saying, but no, hold up here. We still have the power over this. That's right. right. <laughs> um, the, the rosters component of this is going to be fascinating. I mean, like even what it will mean for an Oklahoma softball or, or baseball, I would imagine that, uh, you know, issues in the past that we ran into with you only have X amount of scholarship dollars to allocate. I mean, I would imagine that's a thing of the past now. Right. I feel like I had to catch my breath on this one. I'm a little bit surprised by this. All right, let's uh, get the details in big story number five next.